0: Psalm 20 is like the calm before the storm. Israel is ready for battle. An eerie silence falls across the battlefield just moments before the sound of war breaks forth. Their enemies are at a ready, trusting in their chariots and horses to deliver the victory to them. However, in this moment of silence, before the battle begins, Israel's commander goes to the temple, offers sacrifices to God, And petitions him for blessing. The lesson we can learn from Psalm 20. Is that spiritual preparations must be made. Before the spiritual war can be waged. We've entitled Psalm 20. The prayer in the calm before the storm. The prayer in the calm before the storm. Again the lesson for us to learn. Is that we need to make spiritual preparations. Before we can wage a spiritual war. Now, in verses 1 through 4, we begin with David's invocation. He says, beginning in verse 1, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God of Jacob set you securely on high. May he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. May he remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offerings acceptable. Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. We will sing for joy. Over your victory, and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Notice the opening invocation on behalf of the king. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Now, this request for God's answer is a generalized thesis for the entire Psalm, Psalm 20. It also establishes the immediate context. It is a day of trouble. It's a day of distress. It's a day of pressure. And so there's an invocation for protection. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. Now the word name in the Hebrew is a word that conveys the idea of authority and presence of the individual. So the, the, when he says, may the name of God, he literally is asking for the authority of God, or the presence of God, to defend him. Well, next, he, he requests to, be, to set you securely on high. In other words, place us in a defensible position against our enemy, as the Lord had previously done with Israel in the Exodus. You see, my friends, we too need the Lord's protection in the day of trouble. Jesus promised us as his sheep that we will know him, and that no one will snatch us out of his hand, John ten twenty eight. He's our hiding place. He's where we go into, when we go into battle. He's our hiding place. And likewise, as Paul said, we need to put on the whole armor of God as we fight against the wiles of the devil in Ephesians six eleven. There's also an invocation of provision here. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. It is from God's dwelling place on Zion that the aid comes. Now this support would would include the assurance of answered prayer and of the assurance of the divine presence, the name of God, when David goes into battle. My friends, similarly, Jesus is our commander. He's not an armchair general. He goes into the battle with us. He leads us into battle. As Paul exhorts us to be armored or to be armed with spiritual warfare, he also tells us to pray in Ephesians six eighteen, to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Because it is through prayer that God's presence is actualized and his provision extended. That's why Jesus promises in Luke eleven to thirteen, your heavenly Father will give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Now verse three contains the Uh, next part of this invocation and that is for the lord to accept the king's worship may he remember all your offerings except your burnt offerings etc now this verse could mean that as this psalm is being spoken the king is actually offering a sacrifice when israel was facing the philistines in battle samuel offered a lamb as a burnt offering to the lord he cried out to the lord for israel and the lord answered him first samuel seven nine The first part of the petition is that Yahweh remember all of David's offerings. That is, his faithful worship in the past. You see, David establishes here that he's no foxhole believer. He comes to the present crisis with a long history of devotion to God. Now, my friends, what we do day by day in times of peace ought to be preparing us for times of war. When our devotional life is a habit, we will be well served by that in the day of crisis, in the day of trouble, in the day of battle. That's why we're to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Now the petition continues here that the Lord would find David's burnt offering acceptable. Now it's interesting because in the Hebrew it literally reads this way, May your burnt sacrifice find fat. Now, the reason why the word fat is used in the Hebrew is because back in Leviticus 3.16, it, the, God commanded that all the fat of the offering belongs to him, to Yahweh. So, the request here is David asking God to accept the whole sacrifice for himself. Now, let's make the application here that when we, all, we are to offer our bodies to the Lord, according to Romans 12.1 and 2, it's living sacrifices, living sacrifices again if we're going to be prepared for the battle then in the calm before that storm we need to be preparing ourselves by making sure not just that we're praying not just that we're armed but that we're laying our lives down as a sacrifice acceptable a living sacrifice acceptable to God that's how the provision and the protection of God are appropriated now he continues here and says, "May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel." In the context, David's heart desire was what to win the battle. His purpose or plan refers to his battle plan. Now, at this point, there's a structural break from the invocation because he he's offering thanks in response to God fulfilling the battle plan. We will sing joy for or sing for joy over your victory. Now victory, the word victory here means deliverance from one's enemies. The parallel clause here, in the name of our God, we will set up our banners, pictures the uh, image of conquest. The banners of victory are being furled and being set up in Yahweh's name. In Romans 8 verse 31, Paul ends the exposition there on our new life in God with a victory cry. If God is for us, who can be against us? And he asks next, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Not tribulation, not distress, not persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. Romans 8.35 And the apostle continued in verse 37 to say, that all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. And he went on to say that he was persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now the principalities and power there refers to the fallen demonic forces with whom we engage in spiritual battle. We have a confident hope, hope that as we go to war against these spiritual enemies, these this army of, of demonic forces, that we go in the name, the authority, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, we don't need to fear them. We have no need to fear what they can do because Christ has given us the victory. And in his name, we can set up our banners of victory. The final part of the, bened- or the pet- petition of the invocation here says, May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. It's as if the heart desire and all your purpose are now turned to prayer. May God grant your every request. And with the expression of confident hope, The king and his forces are ready for battle. My friends, we have no business going into battle without being spiritually prepared. We need to be laying our lives down as a sacrifice to the Lord. In other words, we're ready to to lay it all on the altar for God. We need to be petitioning in prayer. We need to have on that battle armor. Again, that needs to be done before the battle starts. Now, verse 6 gives us a statement of indemnification. Now, I know the Lord saves his anointed he will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Now here with this verse, David offers a very positive confession. Uh, he's talking about a time reference. Now, a, this is a new part of the psalm, a new stage. He's received God's blessing. He's offered a sacrifice and worship. And now he's filled with assurance and blessing. He's waited on the Lord. And now he's confident. And when we offer ourselves before the Lord, we receive his anointing for the battle against the evil ones, we can have confidence as well. Now David's confidence is that the Lord saves his anointed. The verb for save, yasa, is a prophetic perfect, which basically describes a future event as if it's already completed. Through prayer, David knows the battle's already won. He hasn't even gone out and and started the battle yet, but he knows the battle's already won. And his conviction is that Yahweh saves and delivers. The word for anointed, by the way, here that's used here, uh, uh, is a word uh, "Messiah," which we know is the word "Messiah." Okay, refers to the king. By the way, let me just take a side note here. You often hear people talk about laying out a hand against God's anointed, and that's a quote from the Old Testament. Uh, well, stop applying that to pastors. Pastors are not God's anointed. They're not kings. That's what the word anointed there means, kings. And the kings, whether it was Saul, which in the context there was talking about when uh, they wanted to kill Saul, and David says, listen, we can't lay a hand against God's anointed. He's God's king. He's the man that God has in that position. And so pastors, preachers, ministers of the word are not kings, okay? Okay? So take them off the, the platforms, take them off the, the pedestals that you have them on, and understand, they're, they're listen, they may be under-shepherds, they may be part of the elders, but they are not above you. Okay? They're, they're no better than the next person serving the Lord. We're all serving the Lord together. And so the, this arrogance that some of these preachers or pastors have today, you know, that, oh, don't, don't question me. Don't challenge me because I'm God's anointed. You need to sit down and shut your mouth. You're not God's anointed. You know who God's anointed is right now? Jesus Christ, the King, Kings, and Lord of Lords. And that's the only one that's anointed. He's the one that's anointed to sit on the throne. No one else. So you preachers ought to get where you need to be, and that's off your pedestals. Back to our text. God saves the king. And this promise is fulfilled for us in Christ. Since the Father delivered the Son from all the powers of evil and made him Lord over those powers, guess what? We can have the confidence, according to Ephesians 1, 19-23, that we're going to too be delivered and reign in him. So here's David, saved from his enemies, heard by God, and now acknowledges God's answer from heaven talks about God's right hand, God's symbol of authority and power, goes into action with saving strength. When we pray in Jesus' name, when we minister in Jesus' name, it is Jesus the mediator who hears God and answers with His saving, the saving strength of his right hand. Verse 7 and 8, the inclination. Some boast in chariots, some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, But we have risen and stood upright. David now reflects on the two alternatives for life. Rather than cataloging his assets of military strength, his chariots and his horses, David confesses his strength is in the name, the authority, the presence of the Lord our God. As Paul told the Corinthians, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive into the obedience of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 In a spiritual war, my friends, only spiritual weapons will work. So you need to surrender your chariots and horses, or whatever weapons you think that the world can offer you in fighting this spiritual battle. You need to lay down your pride in those human weapons that you can manipulate and control, because I've got to tell you, they're not going to do you any good in this battle. And when we do this, when we lay down those earthly weapons, we're wise. Those who trust in worldly solutions for spiritual battles have bowed down and fallen. Listen, ask yourself, where's the Kaisers? Where's the Hitlers? The Stalins? The Caesars? The Mark Antony's? The Pilots? The Herod's? Where's the Augustus? Where's Nero? Guess what? They've all been bowed down into death. And someday they're all going to bow down before Christ when every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. But those who remember the Lord's name have risen up, or excuse me, have risen and stand upright. Verse 9, the intercession. Save, O Lord, may the King answer us in the day we call. David adds this postscript, Save Lord! As we have seen, the verb save means deliver, give victory. David's gathering the troops. He's marching to battles with a final cry on his lips. God, bring your saving power now. And the response to this request is given in a petition form. And it's somewhat difficult to translate, but the Hebrew imperative, Save Lord, can be punctuated. Save Lord the King. And here the king, in this point, is David. God has asked once again for the deliverance as the answer to David's prayer. And the you addressed to the king in verses 1 through 5 now becomes the us of the king and the people. The Lord's answer will be in their triumph. He's going to save the king. He's going, the Lord is going to save David. You know, my friends, as with many other Psalms, the expectation of Psalm 20 is that the living God is dynamically active in the midst of his people. He answers us in the day of trouble. He'll send his protection, his provision, and his power. He needs to receive our worship. He'll direct our plans. And he'll give us the victory. But it's all centered on the king. Because deliverance and power are his. And our king is Jesus Christ. And our deliverance is dependent on him. And any power that you and I have is his. And so, my friends, as we go into our battles... There's always going to be that pause, that calm before the storm, that period of peaceful tranquility. Use those times to prepare yourself for the battle. Use those times to pray. Use those times to arm yourself with your spiritual armor and weapons and use that time to worship so that when you have to go into battle, so that when you have to engage the enemy, You'll be prepared for the day of trouble. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for giving us the provisions that we need, the power that we need, the presence, your presence, that we so desperately need in our day of trouble. And Father, I thank you for providing everything that we have need of. Uh, Lord, even the things we don't even think that we need, you've already provided them to us. Lord, uh, there are some, perhaps even now, in a day of trouble. Even now they're engaged in some spiritual warfare of some kind. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would might come alongside and lift them up, strengthen them, lift up their hands, help them, Father, to be strengthened, to be renewed in their strength, Father, in your strength, rather, so that they can continue to stand in, the, in this evil day. And, Father, for perhaps there are some who are in that quiet time, in that tranquility. I pray that, Lord, they'll prepare themselves. And Father, for that other group who has just come out of a day of trouble, I pray, Lord, that they would give you all the praise, that they would acknowledge that they have been delivered, they've been saved by their King. We ask this in your Son's precious name, the name of the King, Jesus Christ. Amen.